Thank you, Rick and Brenda. Great music again tonight. It'll be in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And uh, we looked at this passage of scripture this morning. Look at it in a little bit more uh, detail tonight. Uh, catch a few things uh, that, that pop out uh, at me as being important uh, in our lives as we examine our role in mission work locally and around the globe. But in our text tonight, of course, we'll be looking at that incredible moment on the mountain when uh, Jesus was changed right before the very eyes of three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, and what happens in this story as we read it this morning uh, as part of our uh, what was a subtext this morning, what happens here is an important lesson for these three. It's an important lesson for Peter, James, and John, and really it's an important lesson uh, for us. One of those lessons being that as we follow Jesus, there's going to be some highlights going to be a lot of highlights. There's going to be some exciting moments, some moments so incredible that we may not even be able to fully describe it. We may not even find the words to describe it. And then there's going to be other days that are going to not be so great. Some days are going to maybe be kind of bad, but that's just the way following Jesus is. There's high spots, there's low spots, but I promise there's more high spots than low spots. This morning we talked about how important it is that we obey the commands of Jesus to share his message with the word, with the world, because faith comes by hearing. And of course, hearing from the word of God. So let's take a closer look tonight at Mark chapter 9. We'll begin reading. We'll back up in a minute, but we'll begin reading uh, tonight in verse 2. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. Mark writes this Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came, came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one of the things they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead." So they kept this word to them, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, why, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it, how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Let's pray together tonight. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be back tonight to, to look at your word again and to study your word. I pray that you would teach us from this moment uh, in time that we're able to read about here tonight. And I pray that you'd teach us just as you taught uh, your disciples then. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So what an amazing thing it's been to, uh, I don't know if, if everyone knows there's a group from Magnolia, about 50 folks that are traveling over in Israel right now, and 
And uh, they're posting a lot of their things. They're most of them out of First Baptist Magnolia, and they've been posting a lot on Facebook. And they've been posting pictures of the places they've been. And, and uh, it's just been amazing. I think about this location and uh, where Jesus was transfigured before his disciples. And you think, what an amazing thing to be there. You know, I don't know, other than Brother Eric, I don't know who else in the crowd may have been uh, to Israel before. But uh, what an amazing thing to see that and to see those sites come alive. We've got to remember when we read these things, I mean, I think sometimes we get lost in reading the story and forget that's a real place. And this is a real event that took place, in a, I mean, that took, uh, place in, in a real location, and the story comes alive so much more. But as we look at the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, you know, it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of, of those gospel writers give this story, and all three of them put it immediately after the promise that's made in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Look at that promise there. Let's back up and read that. And he, Jesus, said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. He said, you're going to see the kingdom of God. Some of you in the crowd that he's talking to, we see back in verse 34 of chapter 8 that, he, that he's called a group of people to himself and his disciples are there also. And he says, some of you here will see the kingdom of God before you die. And then he takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain, and what do they see? Six days later, they see Jesus transfigured before them. Look at what happened here. You know, it's hard to describe what happened. Even Peter finds it hard to describe what happened. You know, most scholars believe that Mark received most of the information for, for this gospel account from Peter. And look at verse 3 how Mark describes it. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I think the ESV says, such as no bleach can whiten. I mean, can you, I can just hear Peter sitting there talking to Mark, saying, Mark, his clothes were so white, your mama couldn't even get his clothes that white. Your mother-in-law couldn't even get his clothes that white. They were the whitest clothes you've ever seen. He can find no words to describe what he has seen on Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand what happened here. Is that Jesus was literally transformed. This, this word transfiguration comes from the same word as metamorphosis. That he was literally changed. He didn't just look different. He was different. Metamorphosis describes a change that's visible on the outside that began on the inside. It is a complete change to a new, uh, new, completely new being. It's the opposite of the word masquerade, which is where you see the change on the outside, but it's fake because it doesn't go any further than that. You know, true salvation is also a metamorphosis. And we need to remember that. True salvation is, re is really a metamorphosis. It's a change that starts on the inside. And it's invisible on the outside. It's like we've looked at several times. I think Brother Eric even had it in one of his uh, sermons uh, last week, that uh, verse from uh, Philippians chapter 2 that talks about working out your own salvation. Because salvation is that metamorphosis that begins on the inside. And then we work it out so that it is visible on the outside. But in this moment on the mountain, 
God pulls back the veil and allows Peter, James, and John to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. It's important to know that, that in that moment, God didn't uh, anoint Jesus with glory just special for that moment, that Jesus had that glory all along. It was just hidden by, his, by the, the veil of his flesh. And that in that moment, God pulled back that veil to allow the glory that had been there all along to shine through to those disciples that were sitting there. And there's no doubt it really uh, was a memorable moment for those disciples, something they wouldn't forget. It stuck with them. And we see that if you look over in Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes about it over here as he's writing to persecuted Christians. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning uh, in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter remembers that moment. What a remarkable experience for these disciples. And if you read Luke's account, they almost missed it because they fell asleep. You see, there's an important lesson here. That we can learn. Yes, God spoke uh, to them through this, uh, from this cloud, and He said, "This is my Son. Listen to Him." And yes, we need to. The most important thing we can do is listen to to the things that He said. Listen to the to His teachings. But you know what? We also need to pay attention to the way He lived and watch the things that He did and imitate those as well. Here they're sleeping. Luke said. And they almost missed it. Why is that important? Because if you look over in 1 Peter where Peter's talking about it, he says, because we're, we were eyewitnesses to that, that gave us credibility as we shared the gospel. And so we need to keep our eyes open for God working all around us and in our lives so that when we're out telling someone, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that they say, oh, uh, you show me some proof. That God's alive. Well, you know, if we keep our eyes open, we can find that proof. And we won't have to be following cunningly devised fables, as Peter put it. We'll be able to tell them the truth and say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've witnessed. As we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's important to pay attention to his work around us and not be caught asleep when he's doing amazing things all around us. Back in Mark chapter 9, as the story continues, in verse 4, it says, Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So here's Jesus in all his, his radiance, and, and then Elijah appears, and Moses appears, and they were talking with Jesus. And then you, we have that whole moment when Peter doesn't know what to say, and so he just starts talking. That's not very good advice. Right? That's not very good advice. If you don't have anything to say, just don't say anything, right? That's when you'll make yourself not look very smart. 
you'll make a fool of yourself by opening your mouth when there's really no words to be said. But Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, in verse 5, It is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I once heard someone say that Peter must have been a Baptist preacher because when God showed up, he started a building project. But that was extremely common in their day. And going back through the Old Testament time, you read all throughout the Old Testament, that when God showed up in a big way, they'd build an altar. They'd set aside a place there where they'd remember, this is where God showed up, this is what God did, and they'd worship him there. And that's really what Peter's doing, but there's a few things wrong with Peter's motives. And this is where we really get to the meat of uh, this message tonight. What's wrong with Peter's motives here in building these three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Well, we get the impression as we read that, that all three would be the same. All three of these little tabernacles, these tents, these altars, whatever you want to call them, they'd all three be the same. And so he's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and on the same level as Elijah, and that's when God decided to speak up. God said, oh, no, no, no. We may study all about Elijah, and we may study about Moses, and we ought to. But we only worship one, and his name is Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians today spend a lot of time majoring on things other than Jesus. If you sit around and listen, and even if you, you can follow um, Christian-backed social media and websites and all those sorts of things, and just watch the trends they get hung up on programs. They get hung up on which English translation of the Bible is best. You know, I literally, listen, this is a guy who is, I won't say his name, but he, he, he's an evangelist from Arkansas who's well-respected amongst a lot of people and maybe even in this area. But I literally read where he wrote on Facebook and arguing with me and some others on a post, I shouldn't have been, but he, he's... <laughs> He all but said, you can't be saved unless you're reading from the King James Bible. I want to say, well, Jesus didn't have one. But uh, <laughs> the guy that was next to him on the other cross went to heaven, and he didn't have a King James Bible. But they get hung up on, on, on English translations, get hung up on music style, get hung up on their own personal preferences, get, uh, get hung up on preaching against pet sins. And we, when we get hung up on these things, that's tantamount to worshiping those things. When we put those things higher than just simply raising the name of Jesus. God said, don't put anybody, don't put anything above lifting up the name of Jesus. Forget about everything else. Forget about everybody else and put Jesus first. Don't get distracted by what else is out there. Nothing is on the same level as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If we would just focus on Jesus, everything else falls into place. The other thing I want to point out that may be a, a problem with Peter's motives in his little building project here is uh, that his building project would have left him on the mountain too long. You see, about the time Peter's got everything permitted, getting ready to break ground, Jesus says, come on, in verse 9. And they leave the mountain. 
They start heading on down the mountain, and you know, you can just picture Peter. Oh, he's been excited when he woke up from his nap and he saw Jesus and Elijah and Moses, and he recognized who Elijah and Moses were. He, he knew exactly who they were, and he recognized, and he's so excited, we're going to build these three tabernacles. And then the next thing you know, Jesus is leading them on down the mountain, and you just got to picture Peter's entire cadence falling. But Jesus, essentially, he's, he's teaching them, you're going to follow me, you can't always stay on top of the mountain. It's time to go down because you know what? Remember what we said from the beginning? Following Jesus is a mixture of highs and lows. It's a mixture of mountaintop experiences and working in the valleys. And he had just told them this just six days earlier. If we back up and read in Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 34, read that entire discourse. It says, when he had called the people to himself... With his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own? For his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. He said, You know what? Following me won't be easy. You can't stay here on the mountain. Staying there on the mountain and building those three uh, tabernacles would have taken some time. And the longer they stayed there, the less ministry is going on down in the valley. We'd all love to stay on the mountaintop. We'd all love to bask in the glory of Jesus all day, every day. But the people who need this message the most are not on the mountaintop. The people who need this message the most. As we see, I mean, it starts immediately. If you were to pick up in verse 14 and continue reading, you see that the moment they got to the bottom of that mountain, what does it say in verse 14? And when he came to the disciples, that's the rest of them, he saw a great multitude around them. The multitude was waiting. Because there's always people that need Jesus. You know, as we continue to read there, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave out uh, the, the rest of uh, their discourse here as they're coming down the mountain. Let's read that again real quick uh, in uh, verse, verse 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one of the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And can you imagine the moment after they had encountered Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, and Peter said, I've been waiting to tell you all this. Can you believe what happened that night on the mountain? You know, and we almost missed it. And y'all's mama couldn't even bleach it that clean. <clears throat> In verse 10, so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. 
And, and how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and that they, they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. If you read Matthew's account, Matthew makes it clear that they figured out that the Elijah that, that Jesus is talking about is John the Baptist. That the Elijah he's talking about is John the Baptist, the one who came to prepare the way for the Lord. And they figure out that the Elijah he's talking about is John the Baptist and that he's confirming that the Son of Man that he's talking about, he's talking about himself. And he's predicting what's going to happen to him in the not-too-distant future. But they had to come down off the mountaintop because they couldn't stay on the mountaintop. And I'll tell you this as we wrap up here. To me, this place is my mountaintop. I hope it's yours. We come here, and I wish I could spend every day in a room like this filled with people like you, and you know, even the ones who are here this morning. You know, We'll let them come join the party as well, but just worshiping God, singing the hymns, discussing God's word, fellowshipping together. If we could just stay on the mountaintop, wouldn't life be wonderful? But if we stayed on the mountaintop and never went out into the real world, we could never fulfill our Great Commission job. We wouldn't be able to reach the world. We wouldn't be able to help the world see the solutions to their problems through the words of Jesus. The real world isn't on the mountaintop. The real world's out there. And the greatest way that we can honor God is to do what he says to do. So I say that we should go do it. Is there anything before we close?